Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is an economy of one with Gary Rathbun, president and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathbun. This is Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, aneconomyofone.com. Aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook. Been putting some interesting stuff on Facebook lately. Been getting thousands and thousands of of hits on that. So uh, check it out. See what our producers put on there on a daily basis. And uh, give us some feedback. I'd love to, to hear what you have to say been an interesting week, as always, and I, I wanted to spend a little time on uh, Scalia. I, I, I didn't talk about him last week. I wanted to let the news uh, take care of things and, and do what they do. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the conspiratorial thought process around the death and how the body was positioned and the pillow on the face and and all that kind of stuff. That's uh, to me. That's that's useless talk at this point because if someone does order an autopsy and the results come back that he died of natural causes, there'll be a conspiracy theory around that and uh, who ordered it and who the the coroner was and how the tests were done and mishandled and all that kind of. Stuff. So I don't want to get into that. Fact is, Justice Scalia is gone, and that creates situations here. And uh, so I want to talk about that just a little bit. One of the things that kind of made me angry this week was the Republicans' reaction to the death of Justice Scalia. They came out and essentially said, well, President Obama uh, should not make a nomination for the next judge. For 80 years now, they have not had any nominations on a uh, from a president in his last year in office, that it should be the next president and all this kind of stuff. And quite honestly, you know, with with the Republicans in charge, in, in the majority in the Senate, I think it illustrates more spinelessness. I'll be honest with, uh, honest with you. I think that President Obama has a constitutional obligation. Constitution doesn't say that uh, a president in his last year 
in office should not make any any nominations. It doesn't say anything about that. It says the president of the United States shall make nomination to the Supreme Court. And uh, he's the president of the United States. Now, I, you know, you can make an argument that you don't like he, what he does. You don't like his nominations. Don't like his policy. Don't like him. You know, and I'm there with you. But I'm a constitutional kind of guy. And the Constitution says the president shall put forth a nominee to the Supreme Court, to the Senate. The Senate shall approve or disapprove. And I think the Republicans are trying to avoid voting on a a Supreme Court justice so that nobody in the news, nobody in the media, uh, no voters say anything to them. It, It just reminds me that they're just too afraid to do anything that they can be held accountable to. I mean, there's nothing that says they have to vote for them. I mean, they, President Obama can put forth a nominee, and the Republicans can can say, no, we're not going to vote on that. We're going to hold off until the next president. They'll take some heat for that, no question. But you know what? They're senators. They should take heat for stuff. They should be held accountable. If they vote on on a nominee and they become a justice, then they should be held accountable for that also. But I'm not going to say they should not vote on a nominee just because it's President Obama putting forth the nominee. I mean, who put Roberts in there? I'm not real happy with him. And that was President Bush that put Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts in there. So to me... I think the issue is the Republicans are afraid to show any backbone. They're afraid to do their job and uh, have a hearing, vote or not vote. And I, I think it also illustrates one other very, very important point as to how, how do I want to put this, how less important to the future of this country Uh, Let me rephrase that. How less important it is to the future of the Constitution of this country that the Supreme Court actually is. Look at all the conversation, all the gnashing of teeth and the, the shaking of fists and that kind of stuff on both sides of the aisle. Both sides tells you that the Supreme Court is simply a political extension of one party or the other that it has nothing to do with upholding the Constitution, has nothing to do with what the Supreme Court was originally put there for. It's just another another kabuki theater, another carnival-like situation. And quite honestly, I'm not too concerned about who puts forth the next nomination, whether it's President Obama or the next president. And the next president, I mean, we're way early even talking about that. I don't even know who the candidates for each party are going to be. So talking about their nominee is kind of uh, a waste of air. But you look at the latest nominees, Sotomayor, Roberts, 
Uh, they're not constitutional people, either one of them. They are what I would call technicians in the judicial system. And look what Roberts did from, from the standpoint of Obamacare. All by himself. One person essentially decided on having Obamacare part of our, our life now. And what we need is constitutionalists, not technicians, and what we're going to get is a technician. And they're going to look at the letter of the law. They're going to look at lower courts. They're going to do what they want to do with the priority of maintaining order and preserving government power. It's nothing to do with the Constitution. And look at what they rule on. Look at some of the cases before them. they got a case coming before them to rule on something that they did themselves to rule on their own ruling. You think they're going to overturn themselves? I mean, it's absolutely incredible to think that. So what I'm saying is I think the importance and the relevance from a constitutional standpoint, understand what I'm saying, from a constitutional standpoint, the relevance of the Supreme Court has diminished to the point where it's strictly a technical body designed to be partisan and uphold the government and the party powers in charge. So no matter who gets nominated, I think it's going to fall into that technical aspect so that no matter what's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? The Constitution is not going to be upheld no matter who gets put into Scalia's robes. So I'm not a, uh, a defeatist. I'm not a fatalist. Uh, I'm just looking at this from the path we're on, and I just don't think it's going to make a big difference in the long run. Finally, furthermore, no matter what, the next president is likely to have to choose two, three, maybe even four nominees through retirement. We have a very old Supreme Court. So uh, either way, it's going to be an interesting uh, four or five years. Up next, let's spend a little bit of time talking about inflation. We had some interesting things happen this week. And I want to tie a few dots together if I can. So uh, we'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Today seems to kind of be my theme of uh, government screwing up, and uh, we've gone from the Supreme Court. Let's talk about currency and uh, monetary policy a little bit. Coming up in the next segment, Dr. Betsy McCoy. She is the uh, former lieutenant governor of New York State and author of the book Beating Obamacare 2014. It's a year so old, but uh, she's a fireball. We're going to 
going to enjoy talking to her and, and some of the new stuff coming out, not only on Obamacare, but uh, in the president's budget a, a couple weeks ago. So Dr. Betsy McCoy will be joining me next. So uh, hang around for that. Uh, Venezuela is kind of the modern modern Weimar Republic, the modern Zimbabwe, although Zimbabwe is still there and is still messed up. But uh, Venezuela this week devalued its currency 37% and increased the price of gasoline by 62-fold. So he devalued the currency by better than a third and raised the price of gasoline. Now, we've followed Venezuela for a while, and they're a commodity-based economy, mainly oil. And, uh, of course, oil is, has uh, come down dramatically in the last eh, 15 months or so. And uh, But even before then, their economy was was messed up and hurting. It's, it's a very strong socialistic economy. So when socialism takes over, uh, things really go to hell really, really fast. I hope uh, Bernie Sanders is is watching. But anyway, um, the the countries, governments, and banks like inflation. And the idea is that if we have inflation, that means your currency and my currency purchases less. But if you're a government... That means you can pay off your debt and pay bills a lot cheaper. So essentially, Venezuela, by devaluing their currency 37% this week, just made all their outstanding debt 37% cheaper. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't you love to be able to reduce your mortgage by 37% with a stroke of a pen? You can understand why, then, countries want to do this. Countries want inflation, and they live in fear of deflation. Now, deflation isn't happening in Venezuela. They got nothing. I, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of their grocery stores and people fighting over uh, the last roll of toilet paper and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, they do not have the basic necessities of life there at all. And inflation would make it so all of those goods are more expensive. Now on the flip side, a 62-fold increase in the price of gasoline, because gas is so heavily subsidized in Venezuela, you can still fill up your tank down there for about a quarter. Not a quarter of what it costs here, a quarter. Something like 23 cents for a tank of gasoline. But when your wages are frozen, your currency got devalued by 37%, a 62-fold increase in the price of gasoline affects you. Now, in reality, everybody's spending their money on the black market, trying to get food, trying to get the basic necessities in life, and which is totally illegal. And if you get caught, you're in big trouble in Venezuela. But the fact is, that's what people have to do to survive. Now, the official exchange rate in Venezuela went from 100 bolivars per dollar to 200 bolivars per dollar. 
Okay. But on the black market, it's 1,045 boulevards to the dollar. So you can see why that monetary type policy is causing so much problems in Venezuela. So think of these dots, and we're, we're going to try to connect them a little bit today and in future, future shows, but you have deflation, you have the desirability for inflation, you have the devaluation of currencies, and, ready, two more things, negative interest rates and the elimination of cash. How many times during the week have you read... Each week, have you read about eliminating cash? European Central Bank came out uh, a week or so ago and and talked about eliminating the 500-euro bill because that's what criminals use, and they're doing it all in the name of crime, uh, preventing crime, which is funny coming from governments and uh, uh, central bank leaders. But anyway... um, The fact is, if they eliminate the 500-euro note, they've eliminated 70% of the cash in circulation. And it wasn't long after that that Larry Summers in our country, former uh, uh, Treasury Secretary and uh, uh, Federal Reserve Governor, talked about eliminating the $100 bill in this country. So... Once again, in the name of crime, drug lords, terrorists, all that kind of stuff, well, let me help you. Criminals commit crimes. And if they don't have $100 bills, they'll use 50s. If they don't have any cash, they'll use something else. But crime is crime, and eliminating $100 bills for you and I are not going to change the crime. Not going to change the methodology, not going to change money laundering, not going to change anything. Nothing. So it's just a first incremental step in the elimination of cash. Elimination of cash, negative interest rates, inflation, deflation, all of these are connected attacks on our monetary system. And it's an attack on our small, small banking system, not the big banking system. Venezuela is our poster child. We need to watch what they're doing and the consequences of the actions of their government. We'll keep a close eye on it. We'll talk about it more. Up next, Dr. Betsy McCoy, former lieutenant governor of New York State and author of Beating Obamacare is going to be with us. Can't wait. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. Back to an economy of one with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now, Dr. Betsy McCoy. She's the chairman of Reduce Infection Deaths 
and a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research. She's also the former lieutenant governor of New York State and author of one of my favorite books, Beating Obamacare. Betsy, it's been a while. Welcome back to the show. It has been, but you forgot to mention my most important credential, a good friend of Gary's. Well, you know, I, I assume that's a given, you know. So, it's been a long nice time. How you, you been? Very well. You know, the Obama administration is keeping all of us freedom lovers extremely busy. Well, you'll never be out of work as long as uh, we have uh, people like that in office, I'm sure. Uh, I wanted to touch base uh, with you on a couple things. Um, of course, I, I, I wanted to get an update on Obamacare. It's been several months since we've talked about that. And, you know, it's... Well, it, the it, great news is Obamacare is collapsing. Yes. I can say it with, with real confidence. First of all, when you look at the enrollments mm-hmm. uh, this year... They've added fewer than a million new enrollees and no improvement at all in in their quest to uh, attract young, healthy enrollees. And the result of that is that Obamacare is really in a death spiral. The cost of covering the people who have enrolled far exceeds what they're paying, even with the taxpayers paying most of it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the large insurers are losing billions a year, Gary, Mm -hmm. on these plans. And the big five have made it known that they're heading for the exits at the end of this year. They're going to just abandon selling these Obamacare exchange plans unless something changes because they're losing billions of dollars on them. And they're not in the business of losing their shareholders' money. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and we talked about that on the on the air. I think it was United Healthcare was in the headlines a while back. Well, about- United, Aetna, Humana, mm-hmm. uh, Anthem, Blue Cross Blue Shield, they've all said that they can't make money selling these plans. Yeah, well, and, you know, the Obamacare limits their their profitability and that kind of stuff. You know, being the cynic that I am uh, and the the somewhat jaundiced view of everything, my first thought was, no way is United Healthcare or Aetna, these guys getting out. This is their public plea to get more taxpayer dollars to to subsidize things. Well, that was the strategy. You got it. You know, you've outsmarted them. You know that. But the (laughs) fact is, Republicans control both houses of Congress. Right. And they really, for a change, and I have to say it's for a change because those Republicans in Washington don't show backbone very often. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But but they did. They put their foot down and said, we are not going to bail out these insurance companies. We're not going to provide billions of dollars more in taxpayer funding, backdoor funding, Mm -hmm. to make up for these losses. So uh, it appears as if the insurance companies, they they keep getting these vague promises from the Obama administration, but nothing concrete and no real money. (laughs) Do do you think, uh, you know, and it's just you and me talking, do you think it's actually going to the Affordable Care Act, do you think it's going to be repealed and go away, or well, is it, it here to stay? it depends on the election. Yeah. It depends entirely on the election. If, re- if a Republican wins the White House, yes, Obamacare will be repealed very quickly. Otherwise, I can tell you this, there will never be another Republican election. There will not be another Republican victory if the Republicans fail to repeal Obamacare very soon after they take office. Yeah, I would agree with that. Betsy, I wanted to touch on one of the things that came out in the last week, and I think he even wrote about it in uh, one of your columns, 
was the new dictate coming out of the, oh, the White yeah. House about uh, employers with more than 100 employees. Oh, this is such bad news, Gary. If you are a white male looking for a job, yeah. phew, your search just got a lot harder. Yeah. yeah this I, is a, a, it's a proposed rule. It's not in effect yet, but they've printed it up in the Federal Register, and I hope people will actually send in their comments. I'm not sure this particular administration ever uh, responds to public outrage, mm-hmm. but there should be public outrage, and not just from white men, from anybody who goes to work in the morning and tries to do a good job and wants to be pro- be promoted or given a raise based on merit, you know, mm-hmm. made the best man or woman win. <laughs> Remember that right. concept? Right. But right. now the... EEOC, a federal agency, and the Labor Department says that employers with 100 or more employees, I'm sure that includes you, Mm. right, you're going to have to send a report in every year, and you're going to have to report your employees, categorize them by their race, their ethnicity, and their gender, right, Right. in 12 salary bands. So what's going to happen is... The EEOC and the Labor Department are going to look at this, and if you have too many white guys near the top in, say, the 10th salary band or the 11th salary band, and not enough others in those bands, the presumption is you are guilty of discrimination. Never mind that those people might have more seniority or more education. They've done a great job for you. It doesn't matter. So, of course, here's the situation. If you're an employee and you've worked all year to get a raise uh, and then the time comes and you look at that salary band above yours and there are already five white guys in that salary band and not enough women or not enough Hispanics, you can't get that raise. Tough luck. It's got to go to somebody else regardless of how hard you worked. Absolutely incredible. And I was reading this and, you know, I I, I first thought of two things. One hundred more workers. uh, That'll come down to to the the size of companies that I own. Okay, it'll eventually come all the way down to 10, 20, 30 employees. It's going to affect everybody, affect everybody. And two, to me, it's a variation or the same thought process, the same mentality as minimum wage. It doesn't matter what your qualifications are. It doesn't matter what you negotiate with your employer or potential employer. It's all based on some government bureaucrat determining Mm -hmm. whether I'm running my business properly for their specifications. Well, and it's so insidiously divisive. Can you imagine how people who work together feel when they know they see somebody else who's going to get that raise who's newer or doesn't do as good a job or goes home early, Mm -hmm. you know, all the time, but they need more of that category in the upper age band. And there's also something, and I tell you, I was watching the Super Bowl last week and I thought of this. Here the Denver Broncos run out onto the field, right? Mm-hmm. 72% black. Right. And nobody's saying, where are the Asian players? Right, right. right. So it, it seems to be very one-sided. Well, and, and you know, way back, way back, uh, Ayn Rand said that the the uh, uh, biggest minority in the United States is the individual, the individual yeah. businessman. Oh, you and, make my heart beat when you mention <laughs> Anne Rand. <laughs> She's my favorite author, yeah. no offense, you know, my well, favorite dead author, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, it, you know, as a business owner and a businessman, you know what, uh, my, my 
my mandate, my, my phrase that I always say about the government is, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Let me sink or swim on my own. I will That's make right. decisions. I will create stuff. And I will hire who I want to hire, and I will fire who I want to fire. And uh, but well, that's, of course, that's the federal not, government doesn't believe in firing anybody. That's that, the that's, trouble with our civil service. That's right. You see it at the VA. You see it at the IRS. Uh, it, 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 there's a bureaucracy there, ironically called the Merit System Protection Board. It protects everything but merit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got to tell you a quick story and, and I tell my, my listeners about my own people. I have a great office for my primary business, and uh, I gave out Christmas bonuses to everybody, as I always do. And... Uh, I got an office manager who's been with me a while, and she came to me, and she says, we need to eliminate the Christmas bonus. And I said, why is that? And she said, because I want my bonus based on merit. I want to earn it. It ticks me off when I got that check. And I thought, you know what? Here's the type of employee I want. She wants to earn the bonus, you know. I thought you were going to tell me all that hogwash about you can't say Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> it's no. not going to be a winter bonus. <laughs> no. No. If there's That'll one thing that, that one thing that, that, that is well known in my office, and that is I am not politically correct. Good. So, uh, <laughs> I uh, had no doubt about it. <laughs> Speaking of politically correct, though, mm-hmm. uh, I, I wanted to mention something about Bernie Sanders since he's sure. really in the spotlight now after the New Jer- after the New Hampshire primary. Mm-hmm. And you know, Bernie has made quite a big deal out of claiming that he is out front protecting the vets, right? right? right. You, you heard it as he was campaigning through New Hampshire, which happens to have a very high veteran population. Mm-hmm. But the states he's going to now, South Carolina, Nevada, they do too. South Carolina, I think, has eight military bases. So he's out there claiming that he is the defender of the vets. Right. But I looked into this a little more closely, and in fact, he has sabotaged every effort in Congress to reform the VA and actually put vets in the driver's seat, let them decide where to get their care. He has blocked every attempt to make a real choice program for vets because he is in the pocket of the public sector unions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, he killed the the Rubio bill, I think. Right, and, right. Uh, um, and then he destroyed the the so-called Omnibus Veterans Access and Choice and Accountability Act. He insisted on putting provisions in there that made it virtually impossible for vets to actually use that choice card. You might as well just take a match to it. That's incredible. And that's one of those things that is a hot topic with the American people, because in recent years, uh, it seems like the American people, the, the general electric, the populace, um, have grown a, a greater appreciation for our vets and existing service people that we didn't see. You know, I, I you, you and I are, are, are similar. I mean, my, my my war that I almost got drafted in was Vietnam. Right. And, and the, people had a bitter taste in oh their mouth. Oh, my goodness, yes. It was a terrible thing for those vets. It but now we're, we've, we've been reminded that we owe them everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's 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 refreshing to see that no matter where vets are interviewed, people always thank them for their service. Right. As they should. As they should. But here is Sanders being a real two-faced on the one hand, not that 
too many Sanders voters will ever listen to your show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. I'm whistling yeah. in the wind here. Yeah. But the fact is, he, he poses as the savior of the vets. But he put in provisions in that law that make it virtually impossible. Yeah. You have to live 40 miles away from a VA. You have to wait more than 30 days. And here's the real clincher. You have to get a letter from the secretary of the VA attesting to the fact that you live more than 40 miles away and you've waited more than 30 days. Can you imagine trying to get that letter? Oh, it'll take you nine months to get that letter. You right. Know, and so. then if you get an appointment with a civilian doctor, the doctor has to call the VA and get prior approval before beginning to treat you. Imagine that doctor waiting on hold, yeah. thinking that the VA is actually going to pick up that phone, right? Yeah. N no chance. And then here's the kicker, and this was definitely Sanders who did this. He insisted that even if you get, to, to, you get treatment from the civilian doctor, you have to go back to the VA after 60 days. Your choice card is only good for 60 days. So whoever heard of curing cancer in 60 days? Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is it, such it, hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, and, and it, once again, it, it shows that they don't walk the talk, that the talk of respecting our veterans uh, is different than what they actually do. Right. They don't really respect our, our veterans. Yeah. He sabotaged them because the more vets use the VA – the more public sector jobs there are. And he's in bed with the public sector unions. Absolutely incredible. What a, what a shame. Yeah. What a shame that that happened. Yeah. yeah I get emails terrible. from vets every day asking for help. Absolutely incredible. We're speaking with Betsy McCoy, chairman of Reduce Infection Deaths and a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research and the author of Beating Obamacare. Betsy, I know, I know we're out of time. It, it, it seems like it flew by. I wish I could could keep you for an hour or so. Um, I hope we can tap you on the shoulders again soon. Love and, to. Uh, you know, your show is a public service, even if the Democrats aren't listening. Well, thank you. You're most <laughs> kind. So, we will talk to you again soon. I promise I won't make it as long this time in between. Bye-bye. So, Bye-bye. Thanks, Betsy. We've been talking with Dr. Betsy McCoy, former lieutenant governor of New York State and author of Beating Obamacare. Coming up next... One more, maybe two more of my pet peeves in life, gas cans and toilets. We'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, for those of you that have uh, listened to me for a while, know I have a lot of pet peeves in life. And I know some of it's just my, shall we say, quirky uh, way of looking at things and personality. But some of it is is uh, pretty real. And, and this week was, was another one of those things, and it reminded me of something else. So this week I, I, I read a, a story about gas cans. And it reminded me of thinking about toilets uh, several years ago. So uh, trust me, I can put these two together. Uh, the gas can thing, I don't know if any of you have bought a gas can in recent years, but the government has gotten so involved in the safety of a gas can that they've made them totally dysfunctional. It's incredible that you get a gas can and they're designed, according to the government, to protect you from spilling gas in the environment, spilling gas on yourself, 
because it's highly toxic. You know that. I mean, when I was a kid, we'd get a cut working on a car. We'd wash it out with gasoline. And now today, it's, it's uh, you know, probably one of the top three carcinogens out there. But government has gotten so involved fixing gas cans that they just don't work. And trying to use one, you will spill more gas and get more on yourself than in the old days when it was just a can with a cap on it. And I live out in the country in the Midwest, and we still have a lot of auctions and garage sales and and that kind of stuff out here. And anytime I go to an auction where they're selling some gas cans that are, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years old, I bid them right up. I mean, they're worth more than they cost new, even in present value dollars. I went to a sale just last summer, and they had two six-gallon plastic, red plastic gas cans that actually worked. Had a little vent on them. You know, new ones don't have vents now. Can't have a vent because if you knock it over and that vent's open, it's going to spill gas. So there's no vent on it, so gas doesn't even come out. But I ran these up to almost 30 bucks a piece uh, buying those dumb gas cans, and I know that when they were new, they were, uh, you know, five, six bucks. And even adjusting for inflation, it's still eight, ten bucks. And I paid close to 30 bucks a piece for them. So you just can't get in. In California, of course, is the beginning of the trend back in 2000. Uh, they wanted to prevent spillage. And uh, between California and the EPA, they just stay up nights looking for new and innovative ways to to spread as much misery to to your life and my life as as possible. So, you know, the gas cans have no vents. Um, uh, you know what it's like pouring something out of a container with no vent. It comes out like it comes out of a pop bottle. It just glugs, and then an air bubble goes in, and it glugs out again. And uh, you, you get it all over. It's just stupid. And it reminded me, as I was reading through this guy's experience, it reminded me when I built my house 20 years ago. That was when they came out with low-flow toilets. Remember that? Low-flow toilets, the government, to save water and save uh, the processing of sewage. Well, I was building my own house. So I had a well, so I was providing my own water, and I had a septic system, so I was treating my own sewage. I didn't feel the need to have low-flow toilets that don't work. 20 years later, they still don't work very well. They work better than they did at the beginning, but still not very well. So that was going into effect as I was building my house, and I won't tell you how because uh, it's my own trade secrets, but I got commercial toilets from Canada. And uh, my house, I have four bedroom, uh, four bathrooms, I got four commercial toilets in my house. And uh, you know what? It takes three, four gallons to flush one, and I'm proud of that. It's my own well and my own sewer treatment plant. But you look at what the government does on simple things like gas cans, and you can imagine what they do with much more complex things like the economy, like the banking system, like your health care, like food, like anything. They just mess it up. The candidate's running now. I don't see any relief in sight. Do you? Absolutely incredible 
what's going on, what they're doing. But uh, gas cans, you see them in a garage sale, you see them in an auction, pick them up. Trust me, it's the only thing that works. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual, be self-reliant, be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.